0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Settle down out there. We told you to greet. <laughs> good to be back. How are you? You look great. How's your summer been? Hey, great. Y'all are really talkative. It's going to be exciting today. Good. Thank you for letting me have a few weeks off. I just want to tell you that my, you know, I love that my elders, the elders of your church, insisted that I take some time, get refueled, refreshed, refocused, and that's exactly what happened. And And I do know that when I'm gone, that you're getting really good teaching and preaching. So I just want to say thanks to Pastor Daniel and Pastor Glenn for filling in so well. Those guys, I know you know this. I know you already know this, but they're world-class preachers. I mean, they can preach at any church in America. And the fact that they're here with us, I just love the team that God's put together. And the fact that I can be gone and you really not miss me is a blessing and a gift. I did miss you, though. I just want you to know I missed you. And it's good to be back. While we were gone, in fact, last Friday, Pam and I celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Love that. When we got married in the seventh grade, no one thought it would last. But we had, y'all laugh at that joke every time. I love that about you. It never gets old, maybe it is, I don't know. But uh, so anyway, Pam and I have been dating her 35 years and we've been married 32. And uh, so I'm, that's one of the greatest joys of my life is when the Lord brought Pam to my life. And so we celebrated that while we were gone, went to Florida for, uh, for a little while and went up the mountains and had a great time. And so just glad to be back, though. That's a good thing. When I woke up this morning, I thought to myself, I'm ready to get back. I miss New Life Church. I miss being in the room with you. I, I watched all the services online. And for those of you watching online, I'm grateful that we you know, make that available. I can just tell you from being gone for a few weeks and being back in the room This is much, much better. And I love being in the room with you, worshiping together, hearing your voices. So I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll run out of red letters. Just keep going to the right. You'll run into the book of Galatians. It's right before Ephesians. So if you go to Ephesians, you've gone too far, and that probably hasn't helped any of you, but just keep turning, and you'll find the book of Galatians. We're gonna start a series through the book of Galatians, and we're calling it a revolutionary gospel because it is one of the most revolutionary books in all of the New Testament that Paul wrote. Now, before we get there, I wanna tell you something that's happening this week, and I wanna invite you to be a part of it. Every year around August, when we come back together from school, the staff gets together for a week or so and prays together at lunch. And so we set aside this time to go into the World Prayer Center, the entire pastoral team, all the people, everyone that works here at the church, and we just pray. We pray for an hour during the lunch hour to pray over the, over you, over the church, all the ministries that are relaunching this fall. We pray over the kids going back to school. We just pray over everything that the Lord brings to our mind. But I just felt this morning as during worship that I should invite you to be a part of that this year. So I just wanna invite you, if you wanna be a part, come this tomorrow, Tuesday or Wednesday for three straight days. 12, If it's noon to one, we'll have worship. Pastor John and the worship team will be leading us. We'll have prayer and worship. The next three days, you're invited to come be a part of that in the World Prayer Center. So if you have your lunch hour free this week, come be a part, we'd love to pray with you. We can't pray enough right now. Somebody say amen to that, All right. All right, are you in Galatians? I have a couple of questions that I wanna ask you this morning. And I want you to give serious consideration to these questions. These questions may feel and sound simple, but I think it's important for us to take these to heart and not just pass over them. Don't answer these questions quickly, but give it some thought. And the first question is, is it possible for all of us to believe something that's not true? I mean, some of you may just be discovering that Bigfoot's not real. Maybe you've believed all your life that he is real. Maybe you believe the Broncos are gonna win the Super Bowl this year, but I just wanna tell you they're not. I'm just telling you, neither are the Cowboys, but is it possible? Is it possible? Now I've disappointed all of you. Is it possible for good, good upright people, people of good minds and good hearts to look up one day and realize that you have believed something that's really not true? I think we're all susceptible to that. I think all of us can say that we're prone to being tricked. So is it possible? All right, here's the second thing, are people today, in this hour, because what Paul is addressing in the book of Galatians, he's addressing a group of people who've, who've perverted the truth. So is it possible today that people are teaching incorrect doctrine? Is it possible that people with really good gifts that sound smart, they have tremendous communication skills, they have tremendous charm and charisma and they're good looking and all the things that make it appealing, can they say things that sound true but are not. Is that possible? Is that happening today? Yeah. Yes, three of you. That's all I needed was like three people to keep going here, right? All right, so it reminded me, I know some of you, I know my, my friend here, uh, Dave Dorland, he's into genealogy. He studies his family's history. It reminded me this week of the story of the Smith family who also were very proud of their family. They were proud of their heritage. They had they'd come over on the Mayflower they discovered and the more they studied about their family genealogy, they realized they had senators and there's some pastors and community leaders. And I mean, their family was really, really well known. And so they decided to hire a writer, a biographer to write the biography of their family. So they got this biographer in the room and they started telling him all these amazing stories of how great their family was, but they had one concern, their great uncle George their great uncle George was not just a scoundrel, he actually died in the electric chair. And they were really worried that that particular character was gonna like, you know, corrupt the whole book. That when people realized that they had a family member that died in the electric chair, that nobody else would care about the rest of their family. But the biographer said, listen, I can take care of that. When I write the book, it will all sound great. So when the book came out, here's what they said about uncle George. It says, George Smith, occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties and his death came as a real shock. (laughs) That's pretty funny, all right? I know that's a dad joke, but that's pretty funny, all right? I'm a dad, I tell dad jokes. That's not a true story. But the point of the story is, (laughs) it's still funny. The point of the story is you can read things and hear things that sound good, sound appealing. They're just not true. And so when Paul was writing the book of Galatians, he had been there. Now, Galatia, if you're interested in geography, Galatia is in modern day Turkey. In fact, it's near the capital of modern day Turkey. And so Galatia was this province and Paul had been there. Paul, the apostle had gone into this city and he had preached the good news of Jesus salvation by grace alone. All you had to do was believe in the person of Jesus and you could come into a real relationship with God. And that was a revolutionary message to people. And primarily there there was about half of the town was Gentiles, half of the town were Jewish people. And especially among the Gentiles, when they heard this message from Paul, many of them, scores of them believed. And there was like a revival in the town Paul left that town believing in a church had been established that the good news of the gospel would be broadcast throughout that whole region. And Paul left there really encouraged, but he discovered a few months, even a year later, that some other people had come into that, into that little body of people and had corrupted the message. And the Jewish leaders of that city were telling the Gentile people in that city that they could not be close to God unless they followed all of the Jewish rituals. And that infuriated Paul because Paul had discovered grace. And Paul had preached grace. And now the requirements of the law were being laid heavy on these people and putting unnecessary burdens on their lives and causing them to not believe in the message that he had given them in the beginning. So go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Now, if, if social media had been a thing 2,000 years ago... This, this would, have, would have blown up on social media because when you read Galatians 1 and Galatians 2, especially the first two chapters, Paul is very angry. He's aggravated. He's ranting. I mean, he, he is really coming to the defense of his message. And listen to what he says here in verse 6. He says, I am astonished. All caps. Like if he was texting this, this would be all caps, yelling at him. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live. Say this phrase with me together because it's going to be a recurring theme throughout the book. The grace of Christ. He says you, who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert The gospel of Christ, leave it up just for a moment because I want you to think with me. Have you noticed that in the last couple of years that it seems like a lot of information, even a lot of preaching, has come to us that is confusing? Because the gospel is meant to convict us. The gospel is not meant to confuse us. And a lot of information, people that are really talented, really skilled in their ability to communicate are saying things to us, but it feels confusing. It feels troubling. It doesn't seem right. And this is what Paul was pointing out. He says, they're throwing you into confusion. Let me just say this to you. If you are hearing and listening to things that constantly cause you to be confused, it's probably not the gospel. Confusion is not a fruit of the spirit. It is the work of the flesh. It's the work of the enemy. He comes to confuse. He comes to, he doesn't want it. Confusion is the enemy of unity. And what the Holy Spirit does, he's causing us to be in unity. And the, and the spirit of this age, our enemy comes to confuse us, to separate us, to cause us to be in different camps. Confusion separates people. Unity brings people together in the work of the Spirit. Are you with me on this? So Paul's pointing this out now. So look at verse 8. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now you're going to hear Paul talk in the book of Galatians about living under the blessings of God, under the spirit of God. But in this passage he's saying, listen, you have a choice. You can live under the blessings of God, or you can live under the curse of God. And as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I find it fascinating in verse eight that he says, even if an angel from heaven I don't know about you, but an angel from heaven, angels can be kind of convincing. I've been married to one for 32 years, so I know what I'm talking about here, okay? Angels, okay, did I score there? That was a scored point. Come on, all the ladies, I scored points there, right? Okay, I meant every word of that. But some of you have not lived with an angel, so I understand your confusion here. I've lived with an angel. But listen, this is what what he's saying is here, is what if a powerful person who has powerful abilities, Tremendous oratory skills. They look powerful. They feel powerful. What if they are telling you something that's contrary to what you believe? He's saying even if somebody with great strength and great power and great charm and great charisma comes to you and tells you something, don't believe it. And we live in a celebrity culture where we tend to give celebrities the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why, but we do. And we tend to be drawn toward that. And Paul is telling us, even if someone charming and cute tells you the lie, it's still a lie. It's not true. In fact, when Jesus was telling us the gospel in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I find this pretty fascinating that 78 times in the four gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus said these two things, 78 times he says, I tell you the truth. Now, so when you're reading the gospels and you see Jesus, he always says that before he says it, right? I'm about to tell you the truth. When he says that, pay careful attention to what he says next. Or he might, in some translations, he may have say, verily I say unto you. Some of you may have that translation, more of a traditional translation. But when you hear those two phrases, it's Jesus pointing out to us that there are things that are true and things that are not true. So what's happened in the American church is over the last 10, 15, almost 20 years ago, some things began to creep into our doctrine, begin to creep into our study, begin to come into the church. And primarily it was because pastors realized this is what people wanted to hear. And it's not my job to tell you what you want to hear. My calling, and, I, and I'm sobered by this calling, is not to tell you what you want to hear, but to tell all of us what we need to hear. That's what I'm gonna stand before the Lord. I'm gonna stand before the Lord and give an account for every second that i spent on this day. Did you entertain them or did you challenge them to change? So we're called, listen, good preaching should make you a bit uncomfortable. If you come to church and you just wanna be completely comfortable all the time, that's not a good church to belong to. You're being entertained. And while I want to be winsome and sometimes I tell jokes and I don't wanna be, be boring, But I want the Holy Spirit to convict me first, and I want the Holy Spirit to convict all of us to change. So what crept into the church was this watered-down version of this, and and so some some scholars have come up with this phrase called moralistic, therapeutic deism. This is what's crept into the church. So I want to show you what it is, okay, so you you can spot it, so you can identify it when you hear it. So moralistic, therapeutic deism says that we use God. In other words, God is a a means to an end. That we see God as like the benevolent grandfather who's supposed to give us everything we want. I know all the granddads, you would never do that to your grandchildren. Spoil them. But this is the way we see God, right? There's a difference between a grandfather and a father. Somebody say amen to that. And there's a reason why there's a difference. We need dads to show us the boundaries and we need grandfathers to spoil us, but we need dads more than we need grandfathers sometimes, right? So we see God as this benevolent grandfather that gives us whatever we want. So we use God to get what we want to make us happy. In other words, we think we know what we need and we demand God to give it to us. That's what's crept into the church. We think we know what we need. Therefore we demand that God... Give me what I need. Moralistic, therapeutic, let me break it down a bit. So some of you grew up in a church that was very moralistic. You heard preaching that says, be good, change your behavior. Don't do that, but do this. If you want God to like you, stop that and do this. That's moralistic preaching. The problem with that is you can't change yourself. You can't do it on your own. Some of you have tried, I've tried it. I've tried being God, I'm not good at it. You've tried being God. You're not good at it. I can't change the deepest, darkest problems in my life just by my self-discipline. I have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I am desperate for the work of the Spirit in my life or I I am hopeless. So moralistic teaching is really focused on being better. Better behavior means a better relationship with God and it's false teaching. The second thing is a lot of people have uh, therapeutic is the word for I'm going to come to church because I want to feel good. In fact, last year I preached on a particularly tough topic about a year and a half ago. And this lady came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor Brady, I don't come to church to feel bad. I come to church, I need to be feel good when I leave the church. And I said, listen, this is a terrible church for you then. I I just, this is gonna be a terrible church. Here's what I want. I want you to be unsettled a bit, even aggravated, unsettled, uncomfortable. If you're not unsettled, A little aggravated, uh, if you're not uncomfortable, unsettled, or aggravated on a regular basis, then the Holy Spirit's not working in your life. What I want you to do is walk out of this building feeling a little unsettled, uncomfortable, but full of hope. I feel unsettled, but I'm not hopeless. See, the problem is if I send you out of here unsettled, uncomfortable, without hope, then I have failed you. What I want to do is send you out of here a little unsettled, a little uncomfortable, but full of hope that God is with you, that he's working inside of you. He's doing it. So last year, I want to tell you this, I've never told you this, uh, but about last year during 2020, when we were going through all the unsettledness, there was a group of people got aggravated with me because I was not bringing up social things as as the, the so cultural wars. I wasn't speaking out about it as much as they wanted me to. For some people, I was speaking too much about it. For others, they wanted more of that. And I was in prayer one morning trying to hear the Lord, trying to hear what God was saying. And the Lord said something to me last week, I mean, last year that changed my whole thought about pastoral ministry, really. He said, Brady, there will come a time in the church if it's not already here where Jesus will not be enough for some people. In other words, it has to be Jesus plus my social things. Jesus plus my talking points that I've heard on on cable news all week. Jesus plus my politics. Jesus plus my whatever. I can only attend a church where it's Jesus plus something else. I actually had someone tell me last year that they could no longer attend New Life because I did not defend the Constitution. And I thought, my goodness, when did that get added to the Great Commission? When did that get added to anything? And I am by the way, I'm, in, I'm grateful for the Constitution, but the Constitution did not deliver me from death. It, it's not, I'm not gonna stand before the Lord and give an account of how much I can quote the preamble. I'm great. I I can quote it. I'm just telling you, Jesus is enough for me. All of your so, I share your concerns about what's happening in our culture. My head's not in the sand. I'm aware. I am just not giving up on the fact that the gospel can change it. So if you're coming to church, wanting me to bark about your concerns, I'm going to instead tell you about the good news that Jesus came and that his death, his burial, his resurrection is the hope for our nation. It is the hope for our families. So what deism says though, is that God is distant. God doesn't care about you. So moralistic therapeutic deism. Those are the things that crept into the church and I'm here to call them out because I'm trying to point you towards something better. So what did Paul believe? Why was he so aggravated? As you read Galatians chapter one, if you read it, you know he's kind of aggravated. What did he believe? and And does Paul's gospel translate to us today? In other words, is this the gospel we should believe? So let me tell you what he believed. He believed one thing, salvation is by grace alone. That's what he believed. That's what he was telling the Gentiles. That's what he was telling the Jewish people. Christ has come and paid for all of our sins, our trespasses. He took all of our transgressions upon himself at the cross. All of it was paid for. All the sins of yesterday, all the sins of the day, all of the sins tomorrow, have. He's, God has already made up his mind to forgive us. Now, the only responsibility we have is to believe. And Paul was adamant about that. This is what reformed the church, by the way. Martin Luther believed this, and it caused the greatest reformation ever in the church. Salvation is by grace alone. Here's, I'm gonna give you two different ways to say this. In other words, Jesus did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. Here's another way of saying this, okay? I'm gonna give you another way of saying this. Salvation comes by believing something, not achieving something. If you believe and trust, you are born again. In other words, you can't work your way into it. You have to receive it. It's a gift. That's why it's the gift of salvation. And what, what do you do when someone offers you a gift? You receive it. You open it. You take it. You get it. You don't have to give it back. You don't have to work your way toward it. And so Paul, what was happening in the church in Galatia is a group of people were coming into these brand new converts and requiring that grown men be circumcised, requiring that they follow all the rules of the law. And Paul was going, no, no, you've been born again. Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind in which we must be saved. It is belief in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is really good news by the way. That is such good news for a lousy sinner like myself. I'm just telling you, that's what set me free. It cleared my mind. It rescued my soul. My whole life has been changed because I believed in that. All right, so let me ask you a question today. How do you know? And I want everyone here that's been following Jesus for more than 20 years to especially pay attention with me. I've been following the Lord now for 34 years. these, These are the questions. These are the things the Lord spoke to me on the vacation. You know, what did I do when I was away? This is what I was thinking about when I was away. So I asked the Lord, I asked him, I said, am I believing sound doctrine? And I dare you this week to pray that prayer. I dare you to go before the Lord this week and ask him, am I believing sound biblical doctrine? Have I I believed something that's not true? That's what I did before I get up here and preach to you, I'm asking these sobering questions of myself. So what's the evidence that we're believing sound doctrine? Now, what I'm about to tell you is gonna sound super simple, but it's not. It's actually more difficult than what you think. So here's the first thing that you know if you're really believing sound doctrine, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus comes out of our mouth. So many people right now wanna talk to me about social concerns or politics or whatever, but I don't hear them talking about Jesus. Talk first to me about Jesus, the person of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the name of Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew five, six, and seven? What did he say at the Sermon on the Mount? What are the Beatitudes? Why did he tell us those things? Fix your eyes on Jesus and then out of that discussion, Let's talk about social concerns. Let's talk about other things, but not until we've had a conversation about Jesus. The reason that I talk so much about Pam is because I love Pam. The reason I talk a lot about Jesus is because at 54 years old, I'm still in love with Jesus. So what you talk about will reveal where your heart is. In other words, Jesus said this, out of the abundance of your mouth, your heart is exposed. Where you put your treasure, where have you put your hope? So we fixed our eyes Hebrews 12 tells us that a cloud of witnesses is surrounding us. So therefore, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So what will happen when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus? Two things will happen after that. We will love our neighbors. Now let me ask you a question, who's your neighbor? Is it the person living in the house next to you? Okay, that's the classic American definition of neighbor, but that's not how the Bible would describe it. You know who your neighbor is? This may shock you, okay. You know who your neighbor is? Whoever's in front of you. All right, tomorrow, you don't know everyone you're gonna meet tomorrow. You might have an idea, but I guarantee you tomorrow, you're gonna be surprised by a person that's suddenly in front of you be a waiter, a waitress, a bank teller, whatever. I don't know who, a a coworker you've never met. I promise you tomorrow you're going to meet a new neighbor. The question is not whether or not God will put them in front of you. The question God has for us is, will we love them? See, what God's looking for us is he's looking for people whose eyes, if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you will love the people that Jesus loves. And you will never love them above the label that you put on them. I didn't expect a big roaring ovation there, but it was maybe a golf clap, like one clap, a slow clap, maybe something. I mean, come on. This is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up all the scriptures, all of the law, all the commands of the Bible. That's what Jesus said, by the way. I didn't hear that on a podcast. I read it. Jesus said it. So if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you will love the people that Jesus loved. John 3:16 says, for God so loved a handful of us that he sent his son. <laughs> now, if you read it, it says he loved the world. Every human being has the imago Dei, the imprint of God on their lives. Therefore, if God's imprint is on them, we should love them. I know that's radical, that's, isn't that radical? That's some radical stuff right there. It doesn't make you feel comfortable, I'm sure. So if that's true, eyes are fixed on Jesus. We are in love with the people that God puts in front of us. The third way I know that I'm following sound doctrine is that I'm making disciples. We're helping others follow Jesus. Well, all, All discipleship is, is I'm helping someone else follow Jesus. That is the simplest definition. And all of us, by the way, are called to make disciples. That's not just my job. In fact, my job is actually to equip you to do that. All of us in this room should be actively involved in the life of another person, helping them better follow Jesus. And those three things are the, are the ways that I know that I am following sound doctrine. And here's what I do know for true. The Bible tells us that we'll be judged for what we allow and what we believe. I'm gonna stand before the Lord and he's gonna ask me a question. Did you believe in my son? I sent my son, he went to extravagant lengths to sa- salvage you, to save you. Did you believe, Brady? Yes, I believed. I believed. I received the free gift that you gave me. Brady, did you love the neighbors that I put in front of you? I tried. I'm gonna have to tell him, I tried. I wanted to. I didn't get that right all the time. And thank you, by the way, for inventing social media. I mean, really, you shouldn't have done that. That was a bad decision on your part to invent that because it really made me hard to love some of the neighbors that are in front of me. But I tried, Lord. I really, really tried. I went to bed at night. This is the last thing I prayed, Lord, I'm trying. <laughs> Get me, help me tomorrow. Did you make disciples, Brady? I tried. I wanted to. I tried. I gave every effort to help other people follow you, Lord. I'm going to be judged for that. All of us are going to be judged for that. So several years ago, the elders and I, the staff, pastoral team and I, We begin to do like an informal study. We begin to meet with people who call themselves Christians. Some were new lifers, some were not. And we begin to ask these people, what are the absolute beliefs of your faith? What is it in your life that, are you a Christ follower? Yes, most people said yes. All right, what are the things that are absolute in your belief system? And what we found seven or eight years ago, to our surprise, is that very few people could tell us. I believe in Jesus, God, the Bible, they couldn't really tell me what they really believed. And so we began to adapt, adopt and adapt a 1700 year old document called the Nicene Creed that was developed out of this very thing the, the early church mothers and fathers found this to be true 1700 years ago, that very few people could tell them what they believed and they were drifting away from the faith. So why is that important for us to recite the creed at New Life? Number one, it unifies us. Thousands of people are about to quote something and recite something together. And when the world tries to divide us, the church is the one place where we can find unity. And we find our unity not around dogma. We found it around truth. We unify around truth. And then the the second thing is the Nicene Creed centers us. I'm about to dismiss you. And you're going to go out in that parking lot and get in your vehicle. And for the next six days, you're going to be bombarded with stuff that's not true. I'm just telling you, my responsibility as your pastor is to flood you with so much truth that all this week, until you get back here next week, every time you, you, you have been so exposed to the truth of the gospel, that lies have no influence in your life. That's my goal. That's my goal for me. And the Nicene Creed centers us. And so this morning, I want you to stand with me and, and we're gonna recite the creed together. And we're gonna do this more often than we have in the past. And we're all coming out of summer vacations. A lot of you as students are about to go back in. My two kids are about to go back to UCCS for their senior years of college. And thank God for that one more year. Come on, one more year, parents. <laughs> I got one more year. It, the, the, the days are short. But the days are long, but the years are short. But my kids are in, entering into their senior year of college, both of them. And I know they're being bombarded with things. And so today, I want us to... Confess what we know to be true. And all of this has been lifted out of the canons of Scripture. These are holy, sacred things that we're about to confess that are true. These, what I'm about to confess to you is true. It's truth. Now, if you don't believe it, I don't mind if you don't confess it. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you're, you're here seeking. Maybe you got drug in here by your mom today. Whatever, however you're here. If you don't believe it, don't confess it. But if you believe it, I'm asking you today with zeal with fervor, with passion, would you recite it back to me as you know it to be true? I'm gonna re- recite this not as some rote document. I'm gonna prophesy this over you. I'm going to speak this over you. I'm gonna believe this with all of my heart, soul, and mind. So would you do that with me if you believe like I do? Let's recite this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, He came down from heaven. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And for our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. But on the third day, He rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. And right now He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Say this really loud with me if you believe it. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. And he has spoken to us through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. And we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you believe any of that, say really loud. Amen. Amen. And amen. Just an amen. I want to pray for you right now. I think there are many of you watching online. We have about people from 35 to 40 states every year, every weekend watching us, thousands of people. And there are many of you in the room today that your heart, you may be ready right now to say yes to Jesus. And I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. You say, Pastor Brady, it sounds so simple. Yes, it's simple because Jesus has already done the hard part. Jesus has already done the complicated thing. Jesus has already paid and done the complicated things so that we could believe the simple thing. And so today I'm inviting you to believe. That's all you have to do. If you wanna come into a relationship with God the Father, this Father that loves you, all you have to do is pray and believe. Confess with your mouth, that's it. No other behavior modification necessary right now. We'll get to that later. But right now, all you have to do is believe. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And for those of you watching online, If you find yourself, you've moved, you know this is the moment where it's time for you to believe. I'm gonna pray with you right now. So pray with me, if if this is your moment, your time, would you pray this prayer with me, Father in heaven. I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I have tried, I have failed, and I need help. I, I need help. So today I believe. Today I choose to believe that Jesus is the one who can change me, who can save me. So I confess today, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus has done all that I need Him to do for me. And I receive it as a gift. And I welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Help me follow Jesus all the days of my life. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, can we just thank the Lord for all of those who prayed that prayer, all of those who prayed that. I, um, I want you to know that there every week I get letters from the state prison system. This, this, this is broadcast in all of our state prisons, this service, thousands of prisoners are watching this. And we're getting letters every single week of revival breaking out in our prison system. Many of them are here. I, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you that because a lot of them are ending up here and you may be sitting next to one right now who've just gotten out. I had some people over at my house recently and two, two of the three guys, have just gotten out of the prison system and their lives are being radically changed and they're being discipled. And I'm just telling you, we're a church that's gonna receive people and we're gonna disciple the messy and the broken. And I want you to help me with that. So let's, uh, I wanna sing, this. we're gonna sing one more song and then we're gonna receive the Lord's table when we'll be done today. So let's pray together. Father, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So we say today, send us. Send us into the harvest. Lord, it is ripe, it is ready. And we are ready to be your witnesses. We are ready to be your ambassadors. So as we sing this song right now, would you prepare our heart for the harvest that's coming? Would Would you prepare our heart to disciple the people that are coming? And we ask this now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing this song and then we'll come to the table in just a moment.
1: we come to the table of the Lord, we have this incredible opportunity to fall in love with the grace of Jesus Christ and fall back in love with the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's just take a moment right now. Just thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to suffer and die, that he took the bread and after he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take, eat and do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and after giving it to the disciples, he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and the cup together this morning.
2: Come on, we believe. We
1: believe. Come on church, we believe. Yes. We are so glad that you came to be with us this morning. If it's your first time, we would love to get to know you out at Connect Central, hear your story and help you get connected here at New Life Church. Pastor Brady mentioned our prison ministry that is just exploding with the good news. And for those of you who have family who are currently incarcerated, we have a new ministry to tell you about called Outside. And we would love to tell you more about that. You can go out to the foyer and you'll see some people there who would love to give you some more details regarding that ministry. It's also coming up to be fall, which means our section community groups are back and our parties. And so we have those this morning in sections four, five, and 11. So make sure you go and get connected with those in your section community. We would also love for our prayer team to come forward this morning. If you would like prayer, if you would like someone to partner with you this morning, it would be an absolute privilege and an honor. Can we just extend our hands out this morning? May you know that you are a vital part of the church of the almighty God and that he calls you son. He calls you daughter and may you go now out into this world who needs to know about this God who has covered it all. He's over it all and be a light in the darkness. We love you all and we look forward to seeing you next week.